Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro-seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to another summer edition of Diffusion, where the weather can do anything. Listen to amazing and bizarre science infuse into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. With me in the studio is Therese Chen. And on this edition, we'll feature memory, illusion, web surfing pigs and robot farmers. But first up, you know how parrots have had their own video chat rooms for a while. And recently... Orangutans have been playing with iPads and video conferencing. Now pigs have gotten in on the act in a big way. Pigs are not just communicating with other pigs using video touchscreens, they're interacting with humans too. New Scientist reports that a team from a Netherlands university have designed an internet game for humans and pigs called Pig Chase. In the game, pigs and humans team up in order to guide a ball of light to a target. The pigs interact with a huge touch-sensitive screen in their pen, while their human counterparts use an iPad. It looks as if the pig is just on the other side of a steamed-up window on your iPad. They hope to incorporate multiple levels and types of play into the game. Pigs have huge brains, and so they get very bored in their featureless pens. EU regulations require that pigs be kept in enriched environments. But so far... Toys have just bored them, and they get aggressive and bite each other's tails. Well over ten years ago, pigs learned to play simple video games using a joystick in an attempt to improve their living conditions. A duo called Omelette and Hamlet mastered a Pong-like game as quickly as chimps once a screen had been fitted with piggy glasses to let them focus on the screen. After you've been playing for hours, cooperating with your pigs to get through the levels and complete the tasks... Will you still want to eat them? Have they mentioned whether or not they've looked at the stress levels on the pigs in comparison to those that have um, actually used the uh, played the game in comparison to those that haven't? Well, basically, when the pigs are engaged, when they're not bored, they're not stressed. So the whole thing is that they're very intelligent. If you just sit them in a pen, they get really, really bored, and then they get really, really aggressive, and then they start biting each other. Whereas if they're playing the games, they're not getting bored, they're not getting aggressive, they're not biting each other. So definitely their stress levels are down. Well, I guess that's always going to be a good thing. Absolutely. And when this study was done 10, 15 years ago with the pigs and playing computer games back then, they controlled computer games back then with a joystick with their snout because there were no touch screens. And... They actually managed to get through a lot more complicated games than just Pong. It was quite a complex set of games, and they tried the same lot of games on dogs, and the dogs just couldn't do it. They just did not have the problem-solving or the concentration skills. And, of course, dogs have smaller brains than pigs do. So the question comes back. After you've been playing with the pigs and they've been helping you solve problems, um, will you still want to eat them? Well, I guess it, oh, that goes to the question, how did we determine what animals we were, we eat to begin with, I guess? Um, I, I'm not quite 
I don't know whether there have there been any studies which looked at like the social history of domesticating animals or even just conducting a survey to um on society just asking them what animals are acceptable I guess that's a cultural thing as well because there are lots of animals like insects for example that are pretty nutritious but in the western culture is well not a lot of people is I guess rep- it's more repellent so. but it's interesting that well my understanding is the history of domestication is that we've eaten anything we can like literally around the world we eat everything we can and the ones we domesticate are those which will reproduce in captivity and survive in captivity, mm-hmm. which is not most animals. Most animals won't. You can't farm almost anything. Like most Australian animals won't, are not farm. You can't farm kangaroos. You can't really farm most animals. So that's why the Australian Aboriginal people didn't farm those. Um, they, had, they had other strategies to get regular food. And in most parts of the world, they've only domesticated those animals that they could. And so the wealth has gone to those countries that could had easy domesticatable animals. And the pigs were one of those animals that they could domesticate. I don't think the intelligence mattered a lot to our ancestors. I mean, in Africa, they eat bushmeat, which is often gorillas or chimps. Mm. Whereas to us, that might be a bad thing. It depends on whether you look at them as something like people. But if you're playing games with them, I mean, a lot of people don't want to eat dogs because they're friends and companions. And there are countries where they do eat dogs. And of course, dogs are one of the domesticatable animals. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know. I think it's interesting and maybe it'll change people's minds. Maybe it won't. But the funny thing is that these pigs are not being kept in captivity while they're playing games to play the games. They'll be kept in captivity to be slaughtered because that's Mm. all pigs are used for in uh, domestication. So there's no word on whether or not they're going to do, they're planning on doing the same thing thing to like chickens or or cows or... No, the other animals don't have the desperate need for stimulation. Right. Pigs are not generally free range. Cows usually are. Uh, But cows don't have a giant brain. Mm-hmm. And pigs definitely do. Um, The fact that pigs can solve complex problems and actually navigate things on a computer screen if you give them specs might give some people pause for just how bright they really are. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send email to diffusion at 2scr.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network, into Sydney on 2SCR, and over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. And Japan's new dream project is an environmentally friendly farm run entirely by robots. The farm will grow fruit, vegetables, rice, soybeans and wheat. They'll be planted and harvested by robotic tractors and then boxed up by other robots before being shipped for humans to enjoy. The carbon dioxide produced from the robotic tractor engines will be stored and fed back into the crops. In the place of pesticides the farm will try and use special LED lighting. The companies involved in the farm project include Ajinomoto, Fujitsu, Hitachi, Ito Yokado Co, NEC, Panasonic, Sharp and Yammer. $52 million will be invested over the next six years by the Japanese Ministry of Agriculture and a further $78 million of investment 
is coming from the private companies. The farm will be on a 600-acre site in Miyagi Prefecture that was flooded with seawater during the tsunami. So the tractors are going to be robotically controlled. Is there still going to be like a person programming the direction on which they go? Uh, The idea is to have them all be self-controlled so that there'll be programs by the robotics factories, but there won't be a human telling them what to do. They'll be pre-programmed with what to do and they'll just do their thing. Hmm. That's it. So it'll be a completely automated farm. You might have some human administrators just checking, but basically the robots will do everything. All right, but I think there's there's something to the fact that um, robots are doing menial work because that's one of those things that's been long promised for the future and sort of not really come about very much. Which is interesting. I wonder if that's going to start like a fear of people, you know, becoming obsolete and like workers becoming obsolete and losing jobs. I guess. Well, there aren't, there's nobody farming these areas Anyhow, that have been flooded. Yeah. So there's no farmers to lose their jobs. And in Japan, the population is aging. So I don't think they've got a whole bunch of young people that are desperate to be farmers that will be out of work. And this will provide food. Mm. Um, it, it seems like a good thing. Surely, for, I mean, if you wanted farm for pleasure, you still could if you can afford the land. But we'll take up all the hard stuff, mm. the hard physical labour. And if the carbon dioxide is being um, recycled, then I imagine that would be a good thing, good thing too. Um, I've noticed you around. I find you very attractive. I've noticed you around. Um, I find you very attractive. Would you go to bed with me? So, Bowerbirds weave illusions. So, there was a study conducted in Deakin University where they monitored a population of wild bowerbirds, and it appears that the males arrange the, the objects so that the, the smaller objects are in the front and the larger objects in, are in the back. And so, effectively, what they create is a gradient. And so they're theorizing that um, that this is to create a f- illusion of false perspective and help the male stand out and the bowerbird look bigger than he actually is. And it appears that this is more attractive to the female bowerbirds. So um, one of the few studies which looks at um, other animal, non-human species creating optical illusions. I guess, and obviously, this the other scientists are skeptical whether or not the but um the bowerbirds are capable of such depth perception, but the study is still interesting. I I think. Yeah, and I mean, it could be that they're making the bowers look bigger rather than themselves. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that yeah, that the idea that they could have that sort of depth perception. But I guess you'd have to have depth perception to be able to move around in three dimensions as birds do. And if those pigs are surfing the web, they might have to worry about their memories. That's right. There's been recent talk of um, the impact of how, or the impact of having um, uh, instant access to information is affecting our memory. So there has been a recent study, uh, I think it's a collaborative study with um, universities such as Harvard and Columbia, 
where they're looking where they're looking at how um looking at the fact that because there's such there's such um because of the ease because information is a lot more easier to access there's been a shift where people aren't where it's not the information itself that's important but where the information is stored so i think this might have i think it's very interesting in relation to how this will ultimately impact um how information is taught and taught to taught to begin with in our education system i think I'm quite interested in this for from a range of reasons. I think there's a lot more information being accessed, so that all of us have access every day to way more information than than anybody in history. That's true. So, and we do it all the time. So we just bombard ourselves with more and more and more, and we're using that information to make judgments on what to buy, on who to vote for, on what we're going to do next. And the other thing is that. This idea of where information comes from, it's really important to have a source memory of knowing if you find a bit of news, knowing where you've got the news from. Who told you? Because the source might not be accurate, or the source might be biased, or the source might be false. And knowing where you found something out gives you that extra edge on knowing whether it was your idea or someone else's idea. And so you're that tiny bit less manipulable. But the other thing, of course, is that books give us access to way more information than we ever had before the printing press. And one of the things that a lot of people learned to do was if you couldn't memorize everything in a book, you knew which book to look up. And if you go way back even earlier, the older technology before the printing press, in the olden days, Reading and writing wasn't a very well-known technology. Only scribes could read and write, only a very few scholars. So most people had memory tools. They had little rituals that used their memory mnemonics to rote learn a whole poem, an epic, a way of doing something. They had little rhymes, little all sorts of little tricks. And you can still learn these mnemonics. I mean, the arts aren't dead. They're just not widely taught. And they'll still help your memory. But there was a wide fear that if reading did take on, that people would lose their skills. Their great memories would be gone. And to some degree, because school children aren't taught mnemonics, that's true. We now trust that they will remember enough that they don't have to look things up. So when they have exams, they aren't allowed always to have books, although there's open book exams now too. Mm -hmm. So you could have exams where you are allowed to look things up and exams where you aren't. And it's the same whether you're looking things up in a book or the internet. Is it that different to look up? Well, there's one difference. On the internet, you can speak to a real life human being. In a book, you can only refer to the recording of a human being, of what they wrote. So I guess if you're on the net, you could actually ask people to help you. And that's a whole different level. And I guess that just goes to another question. How much, how, how much memory can the human brain store? Uh, I don't know whether or not, I'm certain there are lots of studies which have tried to answer that question. 
I don't know whether or not they've... I don't know if anyone's got any idea what our limits are. We don't seem to be anywhere near straining them. Mm-hmm. But we really don't know. We don't know enough about how memories are stored to know what the theoretical limits of the human brain is. We've already got people living quite a long age and they don't appear to run out of memory. And in fact, what seems to happen as you get into old age is that you focus more on your early memories rather than your more recent memories. You sort of dwell on when you were young. So what is the limit of memory? That's something we don't know. But I guess if we were to live hundreds of years, that's something we might have to worry about because we might find the limit and then we might really need external memory. But I would hope that we're not also used to looking things up that we can't remember anything except for where to look things up because if the power went, we'd be in the big trouble. Yeah, yeah. They were talk- they were mentioning how we we're becoming more symbiotic to like tools and technology. So if that went away, then we'd be <laughs> well, we'd be lost effectively. I think. I think we'd be less. Less. If you were so. If you're in the luxury that you've got always on internet, no matter where you are, 24-7, which is not most of the world, but if you're in one of those places and it was there for years and years and years, perhaps you would get so dependent on it that you couldn't live without it. But humans are really resourceful. So surely, if you you knew that was going to happen or if you were even worried about it, you could look up a training course in survival without the internet and study that for the times when you might not have it. And in further stories, of course, we're at a particularly busy period for the sun. The sun has all sorts of storms going on at the moment. And as a result of the solar storms, there's been coronal mass ejections, which are big explosions of electrically charged gas that head towards the Earth. And some of them have hit this week, causing auroras. So if you're in the Northern Hemisphere particularly if you're very north, you may be able to see all sorts of pretty coloured lights in the sky. There's some very spectacular pictures coming in from Norway. Science! And one of the other things that's happening because of the very active sun is apparently it's clearing out some debris in orbit. So there's sort of, you know, broken satellites and dead satellites and bits and pieces of junk floating around the Earth that are pretty much a space hazard. And as the sun's radiation heats up the outer atmosphere, it pushes away the junk. So this outer layer is called the thermosphere. And the atmospheric molecules go on the path of low-orbiting debris. They break, they re-enter the atmosphere, and they burn up. In 2007... China destroyed a satellite with its anti-satellite missiles. This satellite, of course, was in lots of pieces going around the Earth and was a danger to anybody going up into space and anybody putting satellites up into that sort of orbit because you just get hit. In 2009, there was a collision between the Russia's Cosmos 2251 and the US Iridium 33. So the fact that the thermosphere has slowed them down and caused them to burn up in the atmosphere is uh, very useful. It's a short-lived respite because in the long term, climate change will warm the planet while cooling the thermosphere so junk will stay in orbit longer. 
says space debris researcher Hugh Lewis at the University of Southampton. And that report was from New Scientist. The ABC have good news for chocolate lovers. A chocolate drink a day could help boost your brain's working memory. In a randomised, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial, Dr David Camfield of the Centre for Human Psychopharmacology at Swinburne University has found preliminary evidence that flavanols in cocoa can help people to do cognitive tasks more effectively. In the Journal of Physiology and Behaviour, he reports that flavanols, chemicals found in plant foods, have been linked to all sorts of health benefits, and in this case, spatial working memory, which holds information in the brain and makes it available for further processing. Spatial working memory declines rapidly as people age. So he studied 63 middle-aged volunteers, aged between 40 and 65, who were asked to drink a chocolate drink every day for 30 days before being tested. They did brain imaging while the people were doing a memory task. So they were broken up into three groups. One group had 500 milligrams of coca flavanols, the second group had 250 milligrams of coca flavanols, and the third group had a placebo chocolate drink with no flavanols. In the task, volunteers looked at dots on a screen for about three seconds. Then the screen went blank, and during that time, the patient had to hold in their memory the location of the dots. So they were tested to see if they could remember where the dots were. The tests were carried out before and after the 30-day treatment period, and each time the researchers carried out imaging to check the brain's activation. They couldn't find any differences in terms of accuracy or reaction times in terms of the task, but they did find differences in brain activity. The frontal and posterior parietal areas of the brain involved in the task were less active than those consuming the cocoa flavanols. It suggests that they were processing the task more efficiently when they were taking the cocoa flavanols. Perhaps they weren't working as hard to achieve the same task. The findings might also suggest that cocoa flavanols could guard against brain fatigue, but more research needs to be done. The Centre for Human Psychopharmacology focuses on researching nutraceuticals, which are natural alternatives to pharmaceuticals for an ageing population. They receive funding from the chocolate industry, as well as the Australian Research Council. And of course, they promised that while the funding did come from a chocolate company, it had no influence on how the study was carried out. Chocolate carries with it a lot of kilojoules in a small and delicious package. Dark cocoa powder tops the list of cocoa foods with minimum nutritional downsides, and you can make it into a drink. Dark chocolate is better than milk chocolate because it contains higher cocoa solids and antioxidant content, and it's stronger in flavour and more satisfying, so you can be happier with a smaller portion. Dr Gary Egger, who's a professor of health and human sciences at Southern Cross University, says the study doesn't prove that a cup of hot chocolate a day will boost your memory. It's just a short-term study. In general, he's not a fan of people selecting foods to boost their health and abilities. But the research is part of a general trend towards testing the impact of isolated foods on human health, which provides useful insights into what makes up a healthy diet. Egger does admit that cocoa has been shown to reduce inflammation. And recent evidence suggests unprocessed foods that humans have evolved with over the long term are generally showing better effects on the body when tested in isolation. Now this seems to link into earlier work showing that chocolate might be good for the brain. And I seem to remember in earlier studies they were using placebo chocolate as well, which probably has its own market, I imagine. If you can really fool people into thinking they're getting chocolate, then you might just have something. 
And of course, calorie-restricted diets are one of those things that's been shown to improve longevity and brain function in mice. And it might work in humans, but of course, there's horrible side effects. So how do you get the benefits of a strict diet without actually having the strict diet? Well, Italian scientists have published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and they say that a that mice who were fed a diet of about 70% of the food they normally consumed triggered a protein molecule CREB, CREB1, and that molecule activates a host of genes linked to longevity and brain function. So their plan is to find a different way to activate CREB1 so that you don't have to be starved to 70% of your normal calories. So this way you can keep the brain young without the need of a strict diet. This is the first time that calorie restriction has shown why mice on a diet tend to avoid or delay Alzheimer's. CREB1 is known to regulate important brain functions as memory, learning and anxiety control, and its activity is reduced or physiologically compromised by ageing. Mice that were genetically altered to lack the CREB1 protein showed none of the same memory benefits on a low-calorie diet as regular mice and they showed the same brain disabilities as mice that were overfed. This study shows a direct link between the diet and the brain. Eat more chocolate. Eat more chocolate, but without the sugar and without the cocoa butter. I don't know how you manage to do both, which is why we need the pills. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life. And that's all from us this time on Diffusion. You can send email to diffusion at 2SER.com. That's diffusion at 2SER.com. And tell us your thoughts, feelings, and stories. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Contributing to the program was Therese Chen. I produce Diffusion in the studios of 2SER in Sydney, and Diffusion is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Looking at the URL, the first thing that sticks out is the colon. And how about a slashing or cutting sound for the slashes? To complete the experience, we might throw in the HTTP and maybe some kind of download sound. www.diffusionradio.com Lachlan Watmore on guitar. Diffusion! <laughs> 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 <laughs>